This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. IBM Research demos two nanometer process. AMD, design thyself. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360 Research, joined this week by Tiffany Trader and Oliver Peckham, two of the editorial team from HPC Wire. Tiffany, Oliver, I'm glad you're both here. And we're going to start This Week in HPC, Tiffany, with a, a kind of a cool headline that IBM Research has built a chip based on a two nanometer process that's not a lot of nanometers no it's not uh we have uh, ibm revealing the world's first two, two nanometer chip using silicon nano sheet technology on a standard 300 millimeter bulk wafer they uh have put about 50 billion transistors on a 150 millimeter square die so that's a density of 333 million transistors per square millimeter, and they've uh, they walk through uh, some of these advances, um, some of the, the primary advances. Um, you can find those in, in my article, but uh, some some of them are the, the gate all around architecture. That's um, an advance over today's 3D FinFET designs. This is also using three-layer silicon nanosheet technology. Those were introduced on their five-nanometer process that was announced uh, back in 2017. Uh, EUV patterning at the front end. This is allowing variable nanosheet widths from 15 nanometer to 70 nanometer. Uh, and then they also have a multi-voltage scheme enabling threshold voltage control for applications so they can span the whole um, gamut, low power chip, mo low power mobile chips all the way through our, our focus, uh, HPC server chips. Now, this has continued to march forward, of course, and we've given AMD a lot of credit for being the first in the market based on a seven nanometer process. We've had talk of five nanometers, three nanometers. Now, all of a sudden, here's a demonstration of actually a built chip using a two nanometer process, although it's not supposed to be in production until 2024, but beyond the timeliness of it, the interesting thing is here, normally that number of nanometers re has referred historically to the length of a gate, and it's not clear. Somewhere that's gotten a little bit broken because there's nothing on this, on this chip itself that's actually two nanometers, right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, nothing on the chip is actually two nanometers. Each, um, here's some of the some of the things we can point to as, as far as um, the, the smallest the smallest uh, elements on the chip, each nano sheet is five nanometers high. The pitch is 44 nanometers. The, the gate length, you know, that used to be the metric which we, we would name the nodes after. That is 12 nanometers. Um, you know, this this does, is catching some folks by surprise, but people that watch the, the space closely know that, that the node names have essentially become a, a marketing convention that's been going on for a few years now. So this is a, a convention now that indicates the, the, the next advance over the previous node. So better, better power, better performance, better density over a previous generation. Um, we did ask uh, the IBM Research VP Mukesh Kar, um, about this, and he he described this uh, metric that the, the two nanometer, and and the and the other nano and the other node names going forward as a quote, a combination of many many parameters, including power, performance, and density, uh, to enable appropriate value and function that you can put on the chip every two to two and a half years. So echoing the uh, the Moore's law there. 
Well, yeah, but nanometer is a specific unit of length, and two nanometers is a specific unit of length. So to me, that has to refer to something. It is a two nanometer process. To me, that should re refer in some way to the gate length. And what I would assume is that it, in this case, means some level of precision. That in theory, you could put a, a two nanometer gate there, except that it might not be effective. I was discussing this with our chief research officer, Dan Olds, who talked about the the lumpiness of atoms you're getting down to that's only a couple atoms wide and it becomes possible to get electrons that leak through the gaps if your gate length is too short so what it could be according to me and this might be wrong is that you're looking at some level of precision but that 14 nanometers winds up being the minimum effective gate length that that uh, that prevents that leakage and who knows whether they can improve on that by the time it actually comes to market but it is a two nanometer process which gives them a lot of capabilities for well designing things that are pretty small now tiffany in your article on hpc wire you talk about some of the key technology enablers there's a bottom dielectric isolation which provides the reduction in that leakage current which i was just talking about there's also extreme ultraviolet lithography we talked about euv in a previous podcast a second generation interspacer dry process a multi-threshold voltage scheme. So there's a lot of innovation going on here with IBM, and they're pretty clear about the fact that they think this will benefit a lot of partners in the semiconductor industry. That's right. So the IBM really emphasized the importance of the, the partner ecosystem coming out with this, this nanometer. Uh, of course, uh, key partners include Samsung and Intel. Um, but you know, one, one analyst we spoke with, uh, Jim McGregor at Tirius, thinks it's likely that at Tirius Research thinks it's likely that even even competitor TSMC will be taking advantage of some of this IP, um, saying that they've they've licensed IBM IP over the years. Uh, understandably, these uh, co-optition uh, frenemy plays aren't always publicized, uh, but there's there's no formal agreement in place, um, you know, between IBM and TSMC, but. IBM does have a formal alliance with uh, Samsung, with Global Foundries, uh, going back to to that uh, the sale when um, when IBM sold off the, the the chip manufacturing business to Global Foundries. Uh, I think that was in 2015. And then you know recently, just 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 a couple months ago in March, now they announced that they have a an, a, a partner agreement with with uh, IBM, with Intel as well. So it's it's interesting to see IBM is really leaning into its role as an IP supplier, an IP licensor. And, you know, this uh, two nanometer prototype node demonstration, it's it's kind of a, an advertisement, you know, to the ecosystem that this uh, IP is available. And they're saying, you know, look, look what we can do here. I think Jim is really on to something in that regard with, with respect to partners, frenemies, and strange bedfellows in this space. And that actually transitions us quite well to our other story this week in HPC. And Oliver, you covered this one in HPC Wire, which is the TSMC is going to be using AMD ROM processors for the electronic design automation applications to design new AMD processors. Absolutely. Yeah. So the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, uh, TSMC, you know, the most valuable semiconductor company in the world. And they're supplying not only AMD, everyone from Apple to Qualcomm and NVIDIA and Marvell in the middle. Um, but they also run a lot of internal hardware, not only for electronic design automation, but also 
uh, for the actual operation of the fabrication machines uh, on the manufacturing floor. And it looks like they are refreshing that using the AMD chips that they produce internally. So TSMC uh, currently produces the 7 nanometer uh, Epic Roman Milan chips for AMD, and they will be using the 7702P Epic Rome CPUs, uh, the 64 core with eight memory channels, and they're saying that high memory density is a real boon for its operations. Now, those will be housed in HPE's uh, single socket ProLiant server platforms, and TSMC is saying that this is a real upgrade for them and that they've encountered limitations on power and space that are being resolved by this initial deployment. Now, the initial deployment is just with their general workload, but they're looking at expanding this into the manufacturing and R&D workloads as well after a promising first run. And a lot of that uh, firepower is being used for virtualization work with the data centers off-site. Yeah, there are a couple of things that interest me about this configuration, certainly that it's a Rome processor. But when we start looking at that HPE ProLiant system, first of all, that it's one of these single socket configurations, which are starting to become a little more common with HPC applications in order to maximize the memory throughput per uh, processor or per core to go to a single socket implementation. This is something we saw Dell uh, doing a certain amount of, and now you got HPE getting into the act on these. Also that it's an HPE ProLiant system. This is where we see a lot of uh, HPC applications or configurations, particularly in commercial markets like EDA or finance or manufacturing, that can come in on servers that aren't part of their companies' respective HPC divisions. This isn't an HPE Cray. It's not a Superdome Flex that's the old SGI. It's not an HPE Apollo. This is an HPE ProLiant server, but this is certainly running what we would count as an HPC application, which is why when you start counting up market shares, the number that you see that we ascribe to a company like HPE is higher than what HPE reports in of itself as being from their HPC division or sales, which counts only particular configurations. We're looking at workloads, not just configurations. This is topical now as we're getting ready to come out with our new market model and forecast. So it's really great to have that example, um, beyond which it's always great to talk about EDA, which is an important space in this market. And uh, and interesting that we get a, a, a publicly citable uh, uh, reference for AMD going into this space. Uh, what other thoughts do you have about this story, Oliver? Well, I think it's interesting, you know, even even with the 7702P in place, they're already looking at possibly changing it up for their subsequent workloads. They're looking at the Epic Rome 7F72, which I think has a higher base clock and a higher turbo boost uh, ensuing with that. And they're also, uh, Tiffany, if you wanted to talk about, they're also looking at expanding their plans. That's right. They're continuing this rollout with the addition of two uh, two more data centers. They're going to go in Taiwan. One of those is in Tainan, which is uh, where their headquarters are. That's right. They did point to that high high frequency chip being a an advantage as well as the single socket designs. Uh, they're not done yet when it comes to rolling out the, this uh, upgrade. They have two more data centers planned. Uh, those are gonna, both going to be in Taiwan, and one of those is in Tainan, uh, Taiwan, which is where their headquarters are. 
and the other in Sinshu. That's uh, in the article that's in HPC Wire. Our readers can get more details on both of these stories with our partner publication, HPC Wire. Tiffany Oliver, thanks for joining me today, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.